This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 143 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest this week is Jeremy Blackthorne. He's president of the Boston Cybernetics Institute. They provide a variety of cybersecurity services, and our conversation focuses on their unique approach to training, specifically for members of the U.S. military. Jeremy Blackthorne served in the U.S. Marine Corps, and we explore the advantages that provides when approaching both training and operational security issues. We'll get his take on threat intelligence as well. Stay with us. I guess I would start uh, one of my most defining parts of my career was when I joined the Marine Corps. So I served in the Marine Corps uh, 2002 to 2006. And then afterwards, undergrad, graduate school, and then doing research for MIT Lincoln Laboratory. After Lincoln Laboratory, uh, a small group of us left and we started a company called the Boston Cybernetics Institute. And so what sorts of things do you do there? We started VCI to be a training company specifically to support national defense. So our mission statement is to promote and provide education and training in support of national defense. We started this company because of what we saw at MIT. Uh, We did research in support of defense. So we worked with a lot of military and and intelligence sponsors and very talented people at Lincoln Laboratory. And our jobs was specifically to assess the security of these government systems. So we were tasked with finding the weaknesses, exploiting them, and then recommending how we could best fix them. But one of the things that we noticed was In many systems as we could get to, for every one system that we could assess and and help out, there was a hundred systems we never could. Hmm. And we noticed that if we really wanted to support national defense and to really make a difference, make a big impact, we had to be a force multiplier, to borrow a term from the military. Hmm. We had to make more people like us so that the U.S. could have the amount of expertise that we think it needs. And so that just, it, it felt like uh, an obligation for us. It was our, our duty to leave Lincoln Laboratory and try to, to do something about the problem that we saw. And, and so uh, how do you go about doing that? Well, just put simply, we teach. We're, we're mm-hmm. teachers, but we're, we're trainers, we're educators, we're mentors, we're coaches. Uh, so we have a classroom located next to Harvard University in Harvard Square. And uh, it can hold up to 50 students. And so um, many military and government sponsors will fly to us and we will do training here. And we'll do training in topics uh, in cybersecurity. Our specialty is assessing the security of embedded systems, or you might think of like the internet of things is kind of how we know in the commercial sector. Mm. So we teach them how to analyze and take apart these systems or the, the jargon term for that would be reverse engineering. So 
you start with a final product and then you take it all the way back to its original design. And in doing that, you develop intimate knowledge of how the system works and sometimes how it's not supposed to work. And by training the military to understand their own systems in great detail, they can find the vulnerabilities in those systems and then try to address those. So that's what we do. We do research, we, we innovate here, we, we try to always push ourselves, and then we try to quickly pass that on to the government to try to in, empower them to be self-sufficient. We don't really want to be a bottleneck or like a sole provider of this of this expertise, but rather empower the government to be self-sufficient. And we try to do that one student at a time. And what is it about um, the military in particular where, is it from a cultural point of view or, or from a practical point of view that they find themselves needing the types of services that you provide? Well, the military uh, has a long history in our country, but they do not have a long history in cybersecurity or cyberspace. The U.S. military was definitely part of uh, creating the internet with the the ARPANET. But as of recently, I would say that the commercial sector has taken off and now the military is sort of catching up with the expertise in the commercial sector. And there are a lot of solutions, a lot of companies in the commercial sector that are, you know, they're selling products or they're uh, selling commercial training. Uh, but a lot of it is, it's cost prohibitive to scale to the, to the national scale. And so what we try to do is we try to be the solution that does not exist, that we did not see existing while we were at MIT, um, that cost-effective, efficient, uh, sort of elite tier of cybersecurity, cyber warfare training. So that's what we provide to the military. And uh, so far, they think we're doing a good, good enough job. They're keeping us around. We're now now entering our third year of uh, training for them, and we expect to keep going and keep growing. It seems to me like uh, you have, um, with your experience, you have the ability to kind of cross over between knowing how things work in the military, your experience in the Marine Corps. So you know, being able to speak that language knowing the, you know, the local lingo, if you were, but also having been on the outside to, to serve as sort of a, a translation layer for the folks who are still in the service. Yeah, that is a huge advantage that we have. Uh, and I'm not the only veteran that works at our company, uh, but we try to tap into that, that veteran knowledge, that, that cultural awareness to best train the military. Um, and I think that's a big distinguishing factor that we see um, from other commercial training providers. So a lot of the commercial training solutions are born of like an IT enterprise background where they're trying to certify networks and be compliant. And the military is, uh, it does have those requirements, but also needs to push to be, to be better. So the military is very much about committing violence through cyberspace. Mm. And these are the same types of 
life and death decisions that the military has to make in the physical space, you know, the air, land and sea. And now they're being tasked to do it in cyberspace. And so having a background from the military uh, where we were trained in that same mentality um, to always push ourselves, uh, the, the discipline, the teamwork, the leadership. So those are all themes, constant themes of our of our training. We're not just technical trainers, but, you know, we, we have to train people that, you know, you have your team and what happens if this person's no longer available? It's not about job security. It's about like, if this person's not available, you have to be, you have to have redundancy in your team because in military situations, people can go down or be no longer available. So we always try to tap into the cultural awareness, the the severity of the decision-making in, in trying to train all the technical topics. Can you give me some insights and what are the, the spectrum of um, levels of expertise of the people who come to you and how do you calibrate your, your training to meet them where they live? Yeah, that's a great question. So as teachers, we are always aware that we're teaching to a variance of backgrounds. And so in our classroom, we'll always walk before we run. And, and that kind of uh, makes sure that we capture the entire student body. But then we always have exercises that will quickly ramp up to, you know, the, the deepest expertise possible. So putting it shortly in our classroom, we say no one is will ever be bored in our classroom. If you come in here an expert, we have challenges that, you know, we have weeks of material prepared for a one day class, because mm. if that person does come in and they're ready and they've seen it before, well, you know, I'll, I'll walk around the room and I'll say, you know, how's exercise number three? And they're like, I'm on 19. I was like, okay, well, let me know when you're on 20 and let's keep it going. Right. You know, Cause right. I, I cannot, their time is so valuable. I can't afford to waste it. Uh, so we always make sure that a range of exercises are immediately available. Uh, so if somebody does finish an exercise, they immediately go to the next one, they don't wait on us because uh, we are, like I said before, we are as much coaches as we are teachers. So we will not be a bottleneck to their their talent and, and their drive. We will always be empowering them to push themselves further. What sort of feedback do you get when when the classes are over and it's time to send these folks back to their military missions? Um, what sort of uh, feedback are they sharing with you? Well, I am proud to say that uh, our feedback is overwhelmingly positive. Um, and that's just because, you know, before we were good teachers, we were bad teachers. And we learned in the classroom and we've been teaching for several years now, uh, starting in college and now moving to the private space of the military. But some of the feedback um, they have is, you know, we need to get our whole unit in here or can you come deliver more advanced training you know, what, what's your availability? They do latch onto the, the teaching techniques that we use. Um, and that's because we're, as we're going and we're teaching, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll pull back the curtain and be like, this is why I introduced it this way. Or this is, you don't know if you noticed this, but I actually dim the lights when you're training. And when I want you to break, I raise the lights as sort of a um, nonverbal communication to, to calibrate your mindset to where I need it. And mm -hmm. That shows up sometimes in our teaching reviews, uh, which is just a good feeling for us that they're responding well to the teaching techniques, to the training techniques. 
Um, and, you know, usually they're just, they're grateful and they want to learn more. But I guess if you want a more unbiased answer, uh, we'd have to point you to the military units instead of taking our word for it. <laughs> sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. I do want to talk some about um, threat intelligence, which is, uh, uh, you know, our, our, our focus here. Um, and I wanted to get your insights on on where you think threat intelligence fits in to the folks who are out there defending us on the cyber realm. So I think about threat intelligence uh, in terms of like a spectrum of changing information. So starting at the bottom where the information changes the least, you have like the fundamentals of computing and you have the limitations and you have, you know, what is a computer program? And these are the fundamentals. These things haven't changed in, you know, tens of years or, uh, you know, even going back to like the 40s and 50s when computer science was first coming about. Mm. Uh, and so that's on one end of the spectrum. And you need to know those things. And then you also need to know, like moving up the spectrum as the information changes faster, you have things like operating systems. So like you learn the latest Windows now, in five years, that information won't be as relevant. But you still need to know that information and there's a, a quick turnover. And then I think of like intelligence. And then I think that's the information that helps make decisions that's turning over the fastest. You know, they uh, an attacker uses a technique today and they get... The, that technique gets burned and distributed, and then tomorrow they're using a different one. So it requires a much quicker turnaround cycle uh, in terms of managing that knowledge. So um, that, that's another military phrase, I guess. It's probably used a lot of places, but knowledge mm -hmm. management. I think of in terms of threat intelligence, you have to have a well-lubricated, efficient knowledge management mechanism. You need to be bringing in the information, distributing it to the decision makers, who can then review it, make decisions back on it, and then feed it back into the system. Uh, so it's just one continuing spectrum of knowledge that people are trying to use to their advantage to make decisions in cyberspace. Yeah, you know, a phrase that we use a lot here, it comes up over and over again, is actionable intelligence, the transforming information from just information to intelligence. Um, and I would imagine that plays a big part in the work that you do there as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, we can teach the fundamentals, you know, all day. But if there's too much of a gap between what the student learns in the classroom and then what they have to apply, you know, when they're on mission or are at their job, then um, we're setting up an undue burden on them. So when we think about intelligence, the latest tactics that are happening, you know, we have to bridge that gap for them. So when we teach an exercise and we talk about the fundamentals, we say, this is how this fundamental is manifesting itself in the last six months. Let's look at how this country is attacking this country and let's understand it uh, through the lens of the fundamentals, but then also understand, look at the latest style and nuances and how it's being applied. So uh, we put a big emphasis on trying to stay up to date and staying relevant and closing that gap between the unchanging tactics in cyberspace and then the latest style that's, you know, that the, the latest uh, trend that's out there. What sort of insights can you share with us in terms of the experience coming up through the military itself? And I'm thinking about um, those folks out there who might be considering a career in cybersecurity 
and a path through the military might be one of the options for them. Do, do you have any insights to share from that perspective? Uh, yeah, I, I guess I would, I would have a few insights. Uh, so I would, I would start off by just saying that uh, I was not in cybersecurity while I was in the military. I was actually a rifleman and scout sniper in the Marine Corps. Uh, so the specific domain expertise has not helped inform me in my current duties, but rather more of the mindset, teamwork, leadership, discipline, uh, all those relevant things. So that's that's what I try to bring into the classroom and how we train units now. But for people who are considering joining the military to do cybersecurity, I would say that uh, it is a great place to do cybersecurity. The number one thing I would say is purpose. You know, you're, you're defending our country, you're defending our way of life. And anybody who watches the news knows that our way of life is not guaranteed. It requires uh, sustainable investment by citizens. And so I would say if you're looking for a purpose and you don't want to be just securing an infrastructure to put out a product by the holiday time or you don't want to sell ads, then, um, you know, the military is there's no shortage of purpose there. Uh, I would also say a big draw for joining the military for people who want to learn things in cybersecurity is the ability to master your craft. So we talk to the military units a lot and they're pushing for things far beyond compliance. They don't need to be, they don't have to reach a minimum threshold of competency. They have to be the best in the world at what they do. Um, or sometimes what I jokingly say, you have to be willing to dominate. You have mm. to be competitive, you know, because there's people out there that are, they're, they're training when you're sleeping. They're, there's teams set up that live and breathe to tear down what you build. And so if you want to master your craft, then the military is going to, is making the investments in their personnel uh, to be able to master their craft. So those are two big draws for me. And that's what I would communicate to anybody who's considering joining the military for cybersecurity. You know, I, it's it's really interesting, the, the insights that you share. I mean, I, I hear many times from folks I talk to who have military experience that one of the things that sets them apart is the amount of resources that they are willing and able to expend on training, on getting people up to speed you know, from the most basic fundamental levels uh, up through and including expertise. And a lot of organizations in the private sector are either unwilling or unable to do that. Yeah, I've definitely heard both sides. I've heard, you know, the private sector, you look at like the top five banks, you know, they're investing a lot. Uh, I look at other commercial entities and their security is just a function of, you know, how much are they willing to lose this year based on breaches? Like there's no ideals involved. It's just a, a profit loss trade-off. Uh, and then I look at the military and I've heard both on that side. I've heard some units that are just, you know, they're screaming for more training. They want to be better. Um, and the military is, um, they're moving as fast as possible, but they're a big machine. And so some units are still going through growing pains and there's other units that are leading the way and they're, they're getting as much training as is needed. When I think about the military and just training in general, you know, they are a training organization. They take millions of people 
and they turn them into proficient experts uh, in their individual domains, whether it be with a rifle or with a computer. So as far as large scale training, the military is the best or, or one of the best, and they've been doing it for hundreds of years, whether it's how to eat, sleep, walk, march, shoot a gun, or it's going to be how to think about ones and zeros and how to use those ones and zeros to your advantage. Our thanks to Jeremy Blackthorne from the Boston Cybernetics Institute for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Monica Tadros, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.